comedy is hard. But comedy on a Zoom meeting, that is even harder. My guest today, he can fully attest to that. I would be, they tell you to get in costumes. I was in this like spirit Halloween level (laughs) Kim Jong-un costume. And I was like mounting this gigantic green screen that's bigger than my living room. In this costume, on a Zoom, putting a light panel like three feet away, setting a chair, like framing myself, just like just doing all these technical things and being guided very well by these experts and professionals. But like, uh-huh. it, it, I'm just gonna be pretty hardline and say that it was bad. Like, like the comedy <laughs> suffered. Okay. Hey y'all, you are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and my guest today. Is Bowen Yang. Yes, that Bowen Yang, cast member on Saturday Night Live, podcaster extraordinaire, and overall lovely human being. Bowen first came to SNL in 2018 as a writer. But if you know anything about Bowen Yang, you also know it was only a matter of time before he went on stage. So it only made sense when SNL made Bowen a cast member the following year. In this chat, we'll talk more with Bowen about SNL and what it's been like for him to be the first Chinese-American on the show in front of the camera. We'll also discuss his podcast with his friend Matt Rogers. It's called Lost Culturistas. And because we can, we'll talk about our shared love of HBO's Insecure. But first, I had a very important confession for Bowen about a shared love for something else. Um, so, Bowen, I, gosh, I have so many questions for you. But I think I have to start with just a confession. Okay. And we don't have to go there if you don't want to. But I feel like I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't tell you that I am currently in the midst of binge-watching Grey's Anatomy. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. And what was what was the entry point for you? Like, how far along has this journey? Are you in this journey? Oh I feel God. like I'm, like, really... I'm, I'm really close to just jumping back in and yes. starting from the beginning. Yeah, there's so much there. So I was an undergrad when it was first happening. And I recall watching maybe the first two seasons, and I was an RA in my dorm. And me and the guys in my dorm mm. would watch it together. And it was very, like, modern man. Uh, but then I stopped watching after Izzy saved the deer. I was like, I'm out. I'm done. Season four. Yes. Ep- pr- premiere of season four. Yeah. Yes. yes. But then a few weeks ago in the quarantine, Netflix was like, Maybe you want to watch Grey's. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I'm currently in season six uh-huh. now. I'm like moving through it. Wow. So six is the merger? Is that what's going on maybe? I keep hearing that's coming. It hasn't happened yet. I am, okay, I, okay. I just saw the episode, spoilers ahead, listeners, where um, where George dies. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a crazy one. I know. That felt like, um, it did feel like a reset, even though they were killing off a character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoiler. Sorry. Sorry. We're spoiling it's this okay. for anybody who hasn't, who's waited ten years to watch season six. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I fell off after I think, I fell off after seven. Oh no! But no, I I fell off like right as you are about to approach the merger. Okay. So this is interesting. Yeah. We're sort of like you're picking up where I left off. So I bring all this up for a reason. Um, from my understanding. One of the characters on Grey's and actresses on Grey's was a big part of you finding your, like, bath. Yeah. It was Sandra Oh as Christina Yang. Are you okay? Don't ask me if I'm okay. Okay. Oh, you make me sick. Have some fire. Be unstoppable. Be a force of nature. Be better 
than anyone here. And don't give a damn what anyone thinks. There are no teams here. No buddies. You're on your own. Be on your own. Um, it should have been Yang's Anatomy, if I'm being real. It should have been Yang's Anatomy. It should have been Yang's Anatomy. She was someone who, I mean, I like... I didn't identify with someone on TV that strongly and probably still haven't. I mean, like I was admiring her like ambition that was paired with like an unapologetic sort of stance on that ambition. Mm -hmm. Like she was never like quiet. She was never like submissive or passive in her, in her desire to succeed. I thought of myself as a very goal oriented person. The more I, I've aged the more I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not that ambitious. But at the time, like she really sort of, yeah, imprinted on me in this in this very powerful yeah. way. And like people, I don't think give her enough credit. Like Grey's is like a soap opera. Yes. But she is acting the whole way through. Oh my God. The whole, the way, whole through. way through. And giving you comedy too. Yeah. Sandra yeah. O was giving you comedy on that show. Um, But yeah, I mean, she was giving you like single teardrop, on, you know, network television, post-scripted revival, Once Desperate Housewives came on the scene in 2004. Like, yeah. Sandra O oh is, like, giving you the first sort of tasting menu of, like, what prestige television yes. would become. Yes. Well, it's like, I'll see, like, Laura Dern having her moment now. And I'm like, I think Sandra O oh wrote that blueprint. I think she did. <laughs> oh my God! We're, and and now we've and, and now we've said it. Yes, it's out wow. there. It's out loud. Anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> we could do this all day, but to Bowen, to Bowen. Uh, let's talk about the now and where you are in SNL. Mm -hmm. uh, y'all are getting ready for a new season, and I'm so curious yeah. about how y'all pull this off in the midst of a pandemic. How much can you tell us about how it's going to work? I'm curious too. I mean, I'm 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 like. It's all going to be like a Schrodinger's cat situation, <laughs> even for me, where it's like, we won't know if the cat's alive or dead until we open the box. But um, no, I think, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. And um, that's not that's not like a morbid analogy. I'm just saying, like, I don't it know what, what, it what, what it's going to be. Yeah. You know, I, I feel some confidence with the way that um, the show and the network are making sure everybody's safe. Everybody is taking every precautionary thing. So y'all can't go in, we, though. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can go okay, in. Okay, yeah, okay. Because yeah, yeah. the last episodes of the last season, everyone was at home. But everyone was going at home. into... Yes. Okay. And it was nice because, um, you know, they're testing everybody pretty frequently. And it's it's been nice to just sort of go in and sort of gradually, like, reintroduce yourself to people. Be like, hi, oh, it's been so long. Like, and then, Don't like, hug me yet. Just does, like, <laughs> well, everyone's, everyone's just doing, like, a this, like, a, you know, I'm, I'm for, for people who are listening at home, I'm just, like, doing, like, a like an air hug yeah, um, yeah. from afar. Yeah. So I want to talk about how much do you think of the comedy that y'all will be doing this season has to totally just speak to the pandemic or how much of it can feel like previous seasons? I think probably a lot of your audience wants SNL to help all of us feel more normal right now. But I also know mm -hmm. that part of the work of your show is always speaking to the absurdity of them of the moment like sure. how are you thinking about the ratio of like covid stuff and everything else yeah yeah i feel like snl is this kind of fixed refractive prism mm. and whatever comes through it is just whatever's is just the absurdity of 
what's going on in the world or um, what people are saying or what's not being said. Um, I think we all, I think we all sort of take that seriously. And I think we're all in a place where we're excited to write. I mean, even in, even in April during like the true depths of the pandemic and like I was in New York where it just felt so, so, so dark and scary. Even then we were, you know, trying to find ways to circumvent the darkness or speak directly to the darkness. And it still felt decent. It felt like it felt meaningful in some way. And I feel like that yeah. if we're, if we were able to do that then under these like impossible circumstances, which was everyone's in their own houses, you're being directed over zoom. You're being, you know, there's a gaffer on the zoom telling you where to put your light, you know, how to wire your stuff from your own like living room. I'm in like this kind of shoeboxy place. Like, you know, if I, if we were able to do that back then and sort of come together and have our amazing post-production team, like put that show on, in spite of all of these obstacles, I feel like, I feel this like it'll will be, be a walk in the park. It'll be, um, <laughs> sure. All right. Coming up, the duality of Bo and Yang. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Best Fiends. When sprawling grocery lines, stalled drive throughs and the ever-growing list of end-of-week to-dos conspire to foul up your weekend, you don't even flinch. Why? Because you downloaded Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game, which means you've got a boredom-busting secret weapon ready to launch. So let drudgery take its best shot. You came prepared. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. With the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the president is hoping to fill the seat with a conservative judge. And evangelicals who play an important part in American politics have been waiting for this moment. But how did evangelicals become such a powerful force? Listen now to the history of evangelicals on the Throughline podcast from NPR. So in thinking about the show SNLB in this like mirror that refracts and it's going to just have to Mm -hmm. show some of the absurdity of life right now. Like what for you personally, as you like live your life the last few months, has been like the most absurd thing. Like for me, it's just like, I found that living alone, I just have full on conversations with myself. Now I will talk to myself. I will yell at myself. I will sing to myself. And my dog is just like, Ah. who are you? What has been your most absurd? Oh, but thing so, you have a dog there. I do. That's nice. I, I, um, I would let her in, but she's a busybody. That's okay. <laughs> she's a busybody. Um, the most absurd thing. The most absurd thing is that I. Um, I used to be. This is another hardline thing. I used to be very anti-bath. Okay. But it's it's. I take a bath like four times a week now, which feels excessive. No, it's not excessive. You treat yourself. Okay. You treat yourself. I know. Well, yeah. And I'm like really like researching like the right, like I, first of all, so what I have now is this eczema honey bath bomb that helps with like irritated skin. And then I have, um, you know, the Jessica Alba bubble bath, yes. honest thing. Yes. And it's that's like my, those are, those are my sort of, tentpole things that I need for the bath. It's not absurd, but it's just like I'm really splurging on bath stuff. And then I'm splurging on like, like this morning I woke up at like, I set an alarm for like the Telfar drop. I was like, I'm going to wake up at nine and I'm going to like buy like the new Telfar earrings. Like I'm going to buy, like I've, I've never been like this sort of 
yeah mission driven in my shopping and so i don't know if that's absurd i'm just like i i am like i'm just i'm i'm in a i'm in a mode to consume as much as i oh, can yeah 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 you know you can't bring up bath and have me not like really go down a long list of questions because I've heard from several other creatives when I interview them about their bath uh-huh. process. Like Yvonne Orgy loves her bath. She says that she talks to God in the bathtub. Like, wow. what is the average length of your bath? Okay, it's it's interesting because I'll I'll ta- I'll put I'll perch my iPad. Okay. On the rim of the bath, there's dangerous. Area. It's not too dangerous. Okay. It's 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 not too dangerous <laughs> okay, okay. because there's I've got a I've got a large sort of um you know bar of area where I can just tilt my iPad towards me, mm-hmm. um and I'll I'll put on. Speaking of Yvonne, I was I was I'll, I'll like I've been catching up on Insecure. I'll put on Insecure. Oh uh, yeah. And then once I'm like 20 minutes into the episode, I'll be like. Okay, time for me. You know, like once Issa and Molly are fighting at the grocery store, I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Like I can. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> oh, and, and yes, of course. Now I'm getting pruny, and so I'm gonna leave. So yeah, so it's uh, it's like 15 minutes. The top upper bound is like 20. Okay, now now my goal for you is to like next time you're taking a long bath, you gotta yeah. Facetime with Yvonne, and y'all gotta have a bathtub kiki. I would. I'm speaking it right now into existence. Thank you so much, Sam. I I, yes. I am purely a supplicant when it comes to Yvonne Orgy. I I don't get too like you know freaked out or nervous around famous people, but for some reason Yvonne Orgy is just one of those people where I'm like I'm too nervous. I would be too nervous to meet her. Yeah. Well, there's something about what Issa has done with that whole show. She has created these characters that are equal parts, like fumbling through their late 20s, early 30s, but also mm-hmm. incredibly majestic and regal. Like, yeah. they're always dressed above their circumstance. Oh. <laughs> they always look so great. And you're just like, oh, if I saw you at a party, I'd be afraid to say hi. Exactly. They're, they're all yeah. hanging out like the nicest, you know co-working spaces oh, yeah. i've ever yeah. seen in my life yeah. yeah god like condola is just like this like crazy ravishing beauty yeah. i'm just like all of these people are like i i would be too afraid to talk to you which i think is how it should be <laughs> you know insecure has been really has been the best escape i, I watched the coachella episode again oh my god the other night just Natasha to, like, Rothwell just to on another feel level. like can we just say, can we just give props to Natasha? Right there, I mean, right there, right incredible. there. Incredible. Uh, yeah. And Natasha was someone who, she she, she went at SNL for a season, and I was, um when I got the when I got the job offer to write, I reached out to her, and I was like, I really want, you know, it's we're obviously, it's not the same experience, of course, that you are a black woman and I'm a gay Asian man, but what was it like working for you there? And she was like, you know, it was, it was really nice. But like, of course, like you know, it was really intense, and these are these are the things that you should sort of be aware of going in. And I was like, great! Like she downloaded me on all like the nice. the things that like that people should know. And I'm just uh, forever grateful for Natasha as like a performer, an actor, a writer, but also grateful for her as like a person who like you know, yeah, she was, was generous, was was kind, yeah, generous, kind enough to like let me know. You know how to like emotionally prepare for this for this really intense, yeah. demanding job, and gosh, I owe a lot to her. She's I great. Her. You know, hearing you talk about her helping you out when you came on, there has mm-hmm. been so much discussed about that show and diversity, and to hear you say that discussed D I S C U uh s s e d not disgust oh disgust yes, yes, sorry. yes 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 yes, yes, yes. <laughs> good catch <laughs> perfect <laughs> but like it's been disgusting it's been disgusting i guess what i'm getting at is like 
there was still a need for you to ask another person of color, what's it going to be like? What should I prepare for? Uh And so, like, what does that say about where you think the show is in terms of just being a, a more welcoming environment for people who aren't, you know, sure. the white guys. Well, I was I was just asking her as a way that wasn't even specific okay. to SNL. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I feel like this is a thing now where in any place of work, it's like you kind of there there is this kind of emotional shorthand um, amongst people who don't fit into a whatever like mental model of what that job yeah. is. Yeah. Everyone's being very honest, I think, and transparent about how things work there, which I think is great. I mean, I and I was kind of surprised to go into SNL and sort of be just genuinely surprised and comforted by internally, like just going in and seeing like, oh, there are Asians in every department. There are people of color in every department. We've had this like legacy of queer writers who've been at the show since its beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, so much of you moving from writing to being on camera, like so many of those sketches just popped right away seeing you. But I think a lot of people, a lot of straight people, glommed on to sketches that leaned into you being Asian, you know, you playing Andrew Yang or Kim Jong-un. But I was most impressed by, and what I found to be the most subversive, was the gay stuff. And I I mean, like, like having Emma Stone play an actress who gets cheated on in gay porn. I played the woman who gets cheated on in the gay porn. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about my line, if you have a moment. Um, I open the door and I say, Jared, what are you doing? Not with my godson. Like that? Or the Sarah Lee stuff. Since we flagged some activity on the account that's been a little off message. Oh, I don't think so. Well, for example, why did Sarah Lee comment on this picture of Nick Jonas saying, wreck me, daddy? Like, that for me was something that was harder to pull off and even more valuable when it worked. Like, I mean, like, having a conversation about poppers in a comedic sketch that straight people understand. Come on. <laughs> that is like, that was really smart. And so, I don't know. I, is it, how do you navigate the, is there a, not a competition, but there's a duality mm-hmm. of identity that you bring to the show. Sure. And how do you think you navigate that? Or does one take precedence and does that change over time? It's this thing that, um, I mean, both of those things are, for anyone watching at home, it feels like they've snuck on in some way, mm. or it feels, that there's, there's there's some, like, novelty aspect to, like, any time there would be, um, you know, there is, like, an Asian element to a sketch, or there is a queer element to a sketch, and I feel like... I don't know. Like I'm, I'm. I think I'm. I'm. Sure, I, I mean, gosh. I'm still kind of in this place where I'm like, am I sort of limiting my scope with what I'm capable of doing? But I, I feel like I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in just sort of repetition and mm. building reps in, in the, in, in the literal sense of like, the more you see this, the more you'll get used to it. 
at this point, I'm just like, oh, like, I would love for there, there to just be a normal mid-frequency response to you seeing an audience, an audience that watches this and else seeing like a queer Asian person on camera being queer and Asian. Yeah. Without without digging into the politics behind, well, that's all they can do. Like that's all Bowen does is be queer and Asian. Or uh, in the same way that you don't sort of remark on the fact that a straight white cis cast member would come on and that you don't assign those mm-hmm. descriptors onto them in their performance. So it's like, I kind of want to like, I don't know, volley on as much of this as possible in my short time here just to make it... I was talking to Ego Wodum about this, um, my castmate, and she was like, I just want to make this easier for the next black woman. Mm. I was like, oh my God, yeah. And I was like, I kind of don't really care about how my tenure on the show is perceived in, in, in any particular way, other than the fact that I want this to be... I want this to facilitate something better for the next person. Like, that's that's kind of like the only duty I'm bound to I at the that. show at this point. I love that. Listeners, stay with us. We ask and answer a very complex question. What is a culture that made you say culture is for you? It'll make sense later. Trust me. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Allbirds, whose products aren't just comfy and purposely designed, but better for the planet, too. Allbirds measures the carbon footprint of all its products and lists it on every pair of shoes, socks, and undies, just like nutrition labels on food, but for your closet. Then they offset those carbon footprints to zero to make their business carbon neutral. With Allbirds, feel confident knowing you're wearing a product that's doing right by your feet and the planet. Learn more about their sustainable practices and find your pair at allbirds.com today. There are these networks of staunchly pro-gun groups on Facebook. And one of them is run by these three brothers, the Door Brothers. But it turns out, they don't just do guns. The Door family name has been attached to other causes. Their goal is to eliminate public education and to replace it with Christian schooling. The roots of the Door family on the No Compromise podcast from NPR. What's been the biggest difference in the reaction to sketches based on those that lean into being Asian or those that lean into being gay? Like, like hmm, they're yeah. all dealing with difference, but like, is there generally a certain kind of response to the Asian sketches that is different than that for the gay sketches? Um, I would say... I, I maybe I haven't had enough turns at bat yet. Is that is that the right terminology? I no, that, that works. Yeah, yeah, I probably have to like you know gather a little bit more. I have to get a bigger sample size, but I don't know. I ask that because I'm wondering if there are any you know concerned Asian viewers who are like, well, when you play that character, that was bad sure, for us. Sure. Oh yeah. Do you hear that? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I every now and then, yeah, and I completely understand that point of view because you agree with that sure on some level yeah and i sort of um go into these moments of reflection where i'm like hmm what am i upholding about asianness but then that also gets sort of balanced out by this idea that like there is no like monolith asian billions of people (laughs) literally billions of people billions of people so many american people and, like, you know, Asian Americans have the widest income gap huh. within a racial group. And it's like, you know, no one person should be saddled with that responsibility to, like, speak for an entire 
group of people in that way. And then whenever I do sort of receive this feedback that you're not giving us a nuanced portrayal of an Asian person, I think, well, it's a sketch show. And like, I, I, I hear it's literally comedy. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. It's like, it's, it's going to be this not caricature-ish version of what's real, but a heightened version of what's real in terms of the some dials being turned all the way up, others turned all the way down. Yeah, yeah. I do think, you know, it's like when you think of scrutiny from other Asians on you doing Asian things on the show, I'm guessing mm-hmm. part of the scrutiny from that group, if it comes, is also this like... What I find happens is when there's anything of marginalized status that feels like a first, everyone from that group, we unload all of our hopes and our dreams onto that first. And all of a sudden that first has to do so much more than just their job. It's, is Uh Bowen doing this, 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 that for the entire industry, for the entire group, for the entire this, for the entire that? Do you feel that Uh kind of pressure? And if so, how do you fight it? Um... I feel like I felt it less and less. I did feel it very much so in the beginning. And Mm. that was something that, yeah, was just literally mentally overwhelming. I feel like there's this discussion now amongst Asian people, especially after the release of this book called Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. I recommend everyone read it. Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning. She talks about how there's this, like, sense that, like, you would be in a space that is supposedly like egalitarian in terms of like your identities. I see you. But then you would clock the other Asian people in the room and be like, hmm, I see you, but in a way that is for some reason adversarial. Oh, listen. That is for some girl, reason. Girl, like, I know. I, I know. There have know, been right? so many spaces <laughs> where you walk into yeah, the room yeah. thinking you're going to be the only black and accepting yeah. wholeheartedly the benefits, privileges, and deficits that brings. Then you see yep. another one and you're like, this screws up my calculus. <laughs> I had prepared for how to be in this room as the only. Sure, sure. It's weird sure. now. I get it. Anyways, go ahead. Totally. Go ahead. Well, then, because, so so then, like, you know, you you realize that, like, that person becomes a reference point. You're, like, aware that you've become this new sort of reference point for them in their, in their yeah, in their calculation. But I feel like, um, you know, like, where does that come from? And like, there's this, and this is just the the extreme sort of way to put this, but she talks about how we have been programmed to very easily succumb to racial self-hatred, which is to see yourself the way that white people see you, which oh is God. to be like, yes, yes, you know, yes. is to be like, ugh, that Asian person is checking these stereotypical boxes. And isn't that so disappointing? Mm-hmm. But it's like, but wait a minute, you're just kind of framing this in some oppressive mm-hmm. frame, you know? It's it's and mm-hmm. so I I feel like I'm not saying that I'm like I'm victim to that or that's like what what people are sort of putting on me because I for the most part I do feel very sort of lucky and understood. But um I think we're starting to work our way out of that yes. default mode of thinking. Oh yeah. And I think part of it comes out of this like innate sense of scarcity and scarce resources. So if I'm in this space that's majority white and I've carved out this Mm -hmm. space for me as the black or the Asian or the gay, Mm -hmm. I better be really careful when another one of those steps up because they might get my slice of the pie because it took me so long to get my slice and I'll be damned if I lose my slice. Yeah. And I think what has to happen in our careers and in our hearts 
is this reset. Yeah. Like, it's not just about a pie. Right. It's about the kitchen. Yeah. It's about... Oh, my God. It is about, you know, the farm-to-table pipeline. There's a whole ah. universe, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, how do yeah, we as yeah. creatives of color, you know... Mm-hmm say okay i see you other asian i see you other black i see you other whatever mm-hmm. come on let's go farm some food together oh yeah let's go let, let's go make more food this is, this is a horribly realized metaphor analogy or whatever no no see what I'm no <laughs> this is an even worse realized metaphor which is um it used to be that you'd see a gay at, for me you would see another gay person at a wedding and you'd be like damn it uh-huh. but now i've i've evolved to a place where i'm like i see another gay guy at a wedding i'm like great like there's at least two like moderately mm-hmm. skilled dancers yes. here at this one. Yes, yes. So there you go. Yes, how yeah. can we come together? <laughs> how can we come together? Yes, at the wedding. Uh-huh. At the uh-huh. wedding. Yeah. In the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yeah. In the kitchen. Um. So Bowen, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, if that's cool, just because yes. I love it. And like... So. You know, like I had this long period where it's like when you make a podcast, you can't listen to any other ones. But in the midst of quarantine, yes. I have to listen. You know what I'm saying? I know. But now, yeah. something about this quarantine moment, it's like I need it. And so my three every week are Las Culturistas. No way. The Read. The Read. And Who Weekly. Oh my God! I'm honored to those be among are my three. Those. Wow, that's really. Well, nice, you know, my Sam. secret dream is all of y'all just get together for like a freaking Avengers Endgame podcast event. Oh, One I would love that. I feel like Crystal and Kid Fury are like just like too cool for well, school. Well, they had that whole like, insecure, I... majestic vibe. I'm just like, am I cool enough to hang around y'all? I don't know. Uh, yes. <laughs> Totally, totally. And then, oh my God, and, and yeah, and Who Weekly. I love Who Weekly. Yeah, yeah. I want to unpack a little bit of the conceit of the show for those who haven't heard it yet so they can start listening too. Yes. But I also want to just, my, I keep squatting and I just kicked out another leg. No, that's okay. My legs are so asleep. Gay, gay men can't <laughs> no. just sit straight. We can't just sit still. You no. got you to you move. You got to fidget. Oh, You got to lean. Yes. Your, your center of gravity is in your ankle sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You get it. Um, yeah, I get it. I love the way that y'all unpack culture capital c rules of culture the moment culture was culture for you like how do we explain to Mm non-listeners what you're doing with the idea of big c culture sure totally uh with big c culture we're just kind of making it just aggressively frivolous it's just (laughs) i mean there's nothing too important there's nothing not important enough there's um which is not to say that like if everything's culture then nothing is, but it's just to say that there's no like concern for what's highbrow, what's lowbrow. It's all part of the conversation. We well, all also do this thing that I love, where y'all just be talking and y'all talk uh-huh. across a thing that you like, and all of a sudden Matt or you were like, and that's a rule of culture. And all of a sudden, it's a rule of culture. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a rule of culture. Look, you have a little bit done over the years, so you look like yourself always. Absolutely. You and that's go. how you get the cast of Real Housewives of Insert City Here. There's yes, exactly. Sure. Also, if you look like you've had work done, it didn't work. That didn't oh. work. Honestly, the, that's the, a rule of culture. That's a rule of culture number, number four. Number four. Mm-hmm. If, if you, you look, look like, like you've, you've had, had work done, done it didn't, didn't work. work. It is this very determined... Not a labeling, but you're saying that like all of this can be respected, all of this can be important. Here it is, yeah. baby. Lick it up. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. Lick it up. <laughs> Lick it up. Yeah. It's just um 
again, I'll, I'll say the word. It's frivolous. It's silly. <laughs> and then we bring on guests. We bring on guests, and then they, we ask them, like, what, what are the culturally impactful moments from your from your life, from your upbringing. Well, you don't say it like um, that. Y'all say, wait, when did you know that, wait, what was the culture that made you know the culture was for you? Or how do you do it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, what is the, you know, you got it. That's perfect. What is the culture that made you say culture is for you? Yeah. Which just kind of asks, like, what was something that put you into a culturally minded direction? And so it's, it's, I mean, the answers are always so interesting. They reveal so much about the person, you know, that the, the way that people invite us in is, is so, 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 so nice. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I, that's, I kind of feel like that's the luckiest thing that I've like fallen into quote unquote in my life is that like these people just like think that what I have to say is like fun. I don't know. Well, you know what it is. You always finish the bit. Y'all commit. Like I'm thinking back <laughs> to like the top 200 moments of culture that y'all did yeah, when i began to listen yeah. i was like they're not gonna finish this they're not gonna finish this <laughs> and, six, and then six hours yeah, later and you did and it took me half of a cross-country road trip to finish those episodes but i did and i was like <gasps> they did wow. it what was the number one what was the number one what was the number it was one? adele design yeah. <laughs> adele design was the number one moment in culture history all culture history because because and it beat out jonas salk inventing the polio vaccine it beat out <laughs> Everything. If you're on everything. How much in advance did y'all say number one is going to be Adele Nazim? Or was it like on the fly? It was, we knew from the jump Stop. that number one was Adele Nazim. And then we, and then <laughs> what's dumb is that we worked our way backwards. I mean, there's so much that's happened since we've published that list. And what, like two months ago that we're like, maybe we have to come out with a new one. <laughs> because like, we missed like, you know, WAP and we missed, oh, yeah. you know... Gaga's performance at the VMAs. We've missed so many things. I missed that performance. So, so that's fine. <laughs> I will say Normani in WAP. Oh my God. It's a real cultural moment of WAP. We forget that like Normani was the only one actually doing choreo in that video. Thank you. Cause oh, because Cardi and Cardi and Megan yeah, weren't. They're, they're like a little, little, you know, Tina from Bob Burgers twerking, but like Normani is getting it. <laughs> and like yes. yeah, if they're in the hound's tooth. In the yes. bre- oh, yes. such a good luck. In this vein, I have to ask you: What is the culture that made you know that culture was for you? And this answer, uh, I've so you've many... answered it before, but yeah. it could be whatever you wanted to be today, right? Because it's very dynamic, and and it, it, the the answer always changes for me and for a lot of for everyone, I think. But for me, right now, to answer your question, um, the culture that made me say culture is for me is. I mean, I could say Grey's Anatomy to make it full say circle, <laughs> but I could also say, I could also say, I mean, it's Celine Dion, probably, growing up in Montreal, like, you know, Celine just, like, kind of, like, lit something up in me. And then Celine was also, like, she did this concert special on TV one year when I was a kid, where she brought in Elton John, and then that was when I was introduced to Elton John, and, like, he was just this man on the piano with all these kooky glasses. And I was like, when I grow up, I want to have a lot of glasses. <laughs> you know, like it was, she was like the door, the portal that opened. She was the gateway drug into this other stuff. And so. Celine Dion is probably God, the Celine. gateway drug for a lot of gay men. Oh yeah. Gosh, love her. Love her. C- Celine to end this chat. Sandra O oh to open it. What a beautiful conversation. Uh, beautiful, Salmon. You facilitated the whole thing. Thanks again to Bowen Yang. You can catch him on SNL. The premiere of SNL's newest season is this weekend. Also, trying a new thing with the interviews these days. Y'all, if you want to see me talk to Bowen and see Bowen talk to me, there is an extended video cut of this conversation 
It is on our YouTube page, the NPR YouTube page, youtube.com slash NPR. You can see all of Bowen Yang's cool wall art. And you can also see how my wall in this video is totally blank. No art, no nothing. Listeners, send me suggestions and hyperlinks for wall art. Thank you. Last thing, we're back Friday with another episode. And those Friday episodes, they usually include you. We always, every week, want to hear from our listeners sharing the best things that have happened to them all week. Just record yourself on your phone and send the file to me via email to samsanders at npr.org. All right. Thank you for listening. Till next time, stay safe. We will uh, talk soon.